0: Luke chapter number 22 and we're going to begin reading verse number 24 here we are uh, at the last Supper and I want to focus a little bit we focus a little bit on on Peter this this morning and I'll speak on the subject of brokenness so Luke chapter 22 begin verse 24 and there was also a strife among them that's the disciples which of them should be accounted the greatest? And he, that's Christ, said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, as he that, that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth. Is not he that sitteth at meat? But I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Again, this text, this, this, these events we're reading about, this takes place during that Last Supper. Uh, I believe Christ in this, out of his great love for his, friends, His disciples here. Uh, he's trying His best to prepare them for the days to come. In a few short hours, Christ will be arrested. He'll be tried. He'll be crucified. In a few short hours, these men that are, have gathered for this meal, one of them is going to betray Christ. The other 11 are, are going to be scattered. They're going to be confused. They're going to be frightened. And You see here, part of what Christ was dealing with in their hearts because they don't know what's coming. Here they are. They're not worried about what's going to coming. They're, they're worrying about who's going to be top dog in the new kingdom that comes. They show a fundamental misunderstanding of Christ's kingdom and how it operates. They'd already forgotten the lesson. Jesus already taught them this lesson. Matthew 23, 11 and 12. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Now if you read these accounts of the of the Last Supper, there's all kinds of events that happen, and some Gospels cover them, some don't, and you kind of try to piece all this together. Of the four Gospels, only John records Christ washing the disciples' feet which is the great object lesson of this truth. I think if you study things out, it's right here during this time, maybe between verses 30 and 31, that Christ does that, that he puts the towel around himself and washes the disciples' feet. You'll recall in that story that when he came to Simon Peter, Simon Peter like, oh, oh no, 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 you don't wash my feet. And Christ said, well, if I don't wash feet, you have nothing to do with me. It's like, well, wash me all. Wash my head, wash wash everything. So I think that is leading into what Christ tells him here about his betrayal. And you can see that Peter hadn't learned the lesson that Christ was teaching and was modeling for him. Can you imagine the heartache that Christ carried in that moment? He knew that the brash and proud Peter was going to be supremely humbled in the next 24 hours. It's in love that Christ reveals to Peter what is going to happen. He's trying to give Peter hope beyond the despair that is to come when he tells him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not and when thou art converted, strengthen my brethren. Peter still doesn't understand. He Brashly claimed, I'm going to prison with you. They'll kill me too if they're going to kill you. I'm going to be right beside you. But our Lord knew what was going to come. He's omniscient. He knows what's to come. He knew that in the coming hours, Peter would deny him not once, not twice, but three times. We'll speak this morning on the subject of brokenness. You don't hear a lot of preaching on this subject at all. In fact, a lot of pulpits in America—you listen to what they call the health and wealth uh, preachers, uh, what's called the prosperity gospel. You might think it's a sin to be broken. They'll tell you that. Well, if you only had faith, you'd always have money. You'd never be sick. You'd never be distressed. I'll say, well, go tell that to Job. Go, go tell that to Paul. We we're talking about this the other day in, uh, with uh, the lumens in here. You'll yeah. tell that's a Christ. He didn't have a house. He, he didn't have a place to lay his head. Uh, the Son of God himself, he, he didn't exactly have all the health wealth stuff like these people proclaim. There's millions of believers, past and present, that will testify to the foolishness of that idea. In fact, I'm going to tell you the truth. I think the opposite is true, it is a sin to have never been broken. Proverbs 3.12, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Hebrews 12.6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. There will come times in the life of every believer that God has to break you know, I almost want to call this the great secret of the Christian life, but it's, it's no secret. He tells us time after time in the Scriptures that we need this. I can show you from Genesis to Revelation and all points in between that God uses broken people. In Genesis, I thought about the life of Jacob. He's a scoundrel. And you know what the big turning point in his life is, is there he is, and he wrestles with a man. Genesis thirty-two twenty-four. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man who I believe is the pre-incarnate Christ, because at the end of this, he talks about he's seen the Lord face to face. Says "wrestle with him until the breaking of day, and when he saw they prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Jacob had to be broken, and after the breaking came a blessing in verse 28, and he, I believe that's Christ, said, Thy name shall be no, called no more Jacob, which means supplanter, trickster, but Israel, which means prince of God. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. If you look at Revelation, look at the church at Smyrna, you'll see how they were broken. Revelation 2, 9 and 10, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty and poverty but thou art rich. He says, you don't understand. You may not seem like you have much, but you've got a lot where it counts. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. There's a breaking I see in that, but then there's a blessing that follows. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Folks, I I don't know a man, woman, or child, anyone that's been used of God that has not first been broken. I used to, I hadn't read many in a long time, but I really enjoy reading biographies of of great Christian leaders and and preachers and, and people. Adoniram Judson, I've used his story before, pioneer, pioneer American missionary to Burma, was so discouraged by the hardships and the lack of success, he literally dug himself a grave and sat there staring into it. He had to be broken. But by the time of his death, thousands upon thousands had been saved, and that number has only grown exponentially there in the area he worked uh, there's a story about Charles Spurgeon you don't hear told very often we always like to people call Spurgeon the prince of preachers he's such an amazing uh, thinker and speaker we still read and marvel at, at his wisdom today 1856 he was broken they we're having a, a great service. It, so many people were coming to hear him. It, it, it outgrew the old New Park Street Chapel that he used. And I think it's, they said it seated 1,200 people. So they started holding services at this music hall, the Surrey Gardens Music Hall, which uh, set over 10,000 people. And it's packed. And as they get up for a service and they're, they're, the, the musicians begin and they're singing some congregational songs, Someone yells, fire, fire. 10,000 people rushed for the exits. Seven people were trampled and killed. 28 taken to hospital. And that's on top of whoever else was bruised and, and banged up through all this panic. He wrote these words, My thoughts were all a case of knives, cutting my heart in pieces Until a kind of stupor of grief ministered a mournful medicine to me. Broken pieces all asunder. My thoughts, which had been to me a cup of delights, were like pieces of broken glass, the piercing and cutting miseries of my pilgrimage. I could go on and on. I can't think of a single biography I've read of, of a Christian that's been used by God that does not tell about how they were broken. It's a comfort to me to know that at least whatever trials I face, I'm not the only believer that's had to face hardships, and and honestly, many of the hardships I'd say I'd faced are pretty light compared to what others have faced. I want to share with you a a few thoughts this morning from our Lord's message to Peter. I hope it's a help to you. I, I, I hope that... It'll help make sense out of something that honestly defies logic in a lot of ways. This is so counterintuitive to the wisdom of the world. Why would God get glory from breaking his follower? First thing I want us to see is that Satan seeks to destroy, but God seeks to transform. uh, Satan seeks to destroy, but God seeks to transform. Verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan, Satan hath desired to sift you, or to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Satan is a destroyer. As soon as God wrapped up the creation of this world, the very pinnacle of that creation, humankind, what did Satan try to do? He tried to destroy it, caused Eve and Adam to fall. He sought to destroy Job. He sought to destroy Peter. He seeks to destroy you and me. That's what He does. He wants to pulverize you, to annihilate you, to discourage you, to destroy you. He knew that God had plans for Peter. And I almost spoke on this last week, but Matthew 16, uh, Peter's great confession of faith, uh, you know, thou art the Christ and and. and, and and how Christ responds back to him says, on this rock I'm going to build the church. And, he's, and he talks about Peter's been given the keys to the kingdom. You go in the book of Acts. He's the one that preaches at Pentecost. 3,000 people are saved. He's the one that leads the first Gentile, Cornelius the centurion. I think that's talking about the key to the Jews and the Gentiles. Peter's the one that walked up and opened up the door. You know, when I was at Tractor Supply, uh, worked there a little over a year, I guess, right when we first moved back here from Bible college. I was the one that unlocked the door on uh, Black Friday morning. I was a little scared. I've seen those videos. People getting trampled, you know. But uh, they were were very well behaved. There was like five people and they just kind of walked in. But, uh, but, but, But I was the one that let them in. Well, that's what Peter did. He opened the door for the gospel and the people came in. He had a very unique and special role that God had given him. Satan wanted to stop that. He wanted to sift him like wheat. Back in those days, when they wanted to harvest wheat, you'd let it grow until it's you know ripe. and Then you'd go out there with a scythe and you'd chop that down. Chop down those stalks and stems of the, of, of, of the grain. Then you'd take them and bundle them up. You'd take them to a threshing floor and you'd take those bundles and you would beat them. So those uh, little kernels, the corns of, of, of wheat, would fall off. They, they would have uh, like these uh, kind of like racket things and smack them, but I mean beat. It. It's vicious work, beating out those, uh, the grains of wheat. Not only that, then they let it dry out. Then they come back a little bit later, and then they winnow it. In those days, they'd go up on a high place where there's a bunch of wind, and they'd take a, what's called a winnowing fork or fan, and they'd throw this stuff up in the air and so the air, the wind blowing would blow away the shaft, and just the, uh, the kernels of that grain would fall down. And they'd pick it up and just keep throwing it up in the air, throwing it up in the air, letting it fall and, and crash to the ground. Um, and then once you got that done, what'd you do with it? You, you'd go and you'd mill it down. You'd grind it up, pulverize it down to make flour out of it. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun for the grains of wheat, does it, through that whole process? It seems like destruction. It seems like agony. But you know what you got when you got done with that? You, you had wheat flour. You can't do a lot with just wheat grains. You can eat them if you want to, but you can do hundreds of things with wheat flour. Here's a wonderful picture that we see, I believe. Satan sought to destroy, to crush Peter. God says, I can work with this. Once we're done crushing Peter, I'm going to pick up those pieces and I'm going to do something amazing with those. This same Peter who's about to be crushed will preach at Pentecost, thousands saved. Same Peter will preach the uh, the gospel to the Gentile people. I don't believe, by the way, he could have done any of those things. The Peter who wrote the books of the Bible, the the Apostle Peter we see leading in the book of Acts, I don't think he could have done anything like that had he not first been broken. Horses are magnificent creatures, but they are useless to mankind until they're broken. First thing military does, make a soldier, it's called boot camp. What do they do? They break you down. They take away your individuality. They shave your head. They, 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 I mean, they wear you down. It's a psychological deal. They are breaking you down to mold you into being a soldier. So it is that God allows us to be broken so that he can use us all the greater. Second thing I want us to see is that hope is never lost in brokenness. Hope is never lost in brokenness. Verse 32 begins but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Christ was a mighty preacher but we have no record of the disciples ever asking him how to preach. He was a mighty soul winner but we have no record of anyone asking him oh, how do you do evangelism how do you share the gospel but in Luke 11 verse 1 the disciples are so moved by his prayers that they say Lord teach us to pray. I saw one list, I looked it up, and they said there's about 25 times of record where Christ prays in the Gospels. By the way, He's technically still praying for us as He makes intercession for us. Romans 8.34 Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now I've got a question to ask you about Christ and His prayers. Do you think Christ's prayers ever went unanswered? Do you think the Son of God could pray a prayer and it not be answered? While our prayers may not always be answered as we ask them and as we seek, I think, theologically speaking, every one of Christ's prayers had to have been answered. He is God, praying to God in the heart of God according to the will of God. So catch that? This is a perfect, perfect system. He is God, praying to God in the heart of God according to the will of God. There's no room for rejection in that. I don't see how it's possible that his prayers could not be answered. And look at what he prayed for with Peter. Peter, I've prayed for you. I've prayed that your faith fail not. He's not praying that Peter would not be broken. That's not his prayer. He's not praying that Peter's faith would not be tried. That's not his prayer. He's praying that Peter would not be lost or destroyed in the process of breaking. By the way, I believe he... Praise the same for us today. An example of scripture look at Job. We could talk a lot about Job on this subject. Job was broken and tested like no man before, or likely since. Yet his faith remained and was strengthened. He had some lessons to learn along the way, but his faith remained. Friends, though being broken is hard, it's lonely, you often feel helpless know this, that God does not forsake His own. Even in the times He's breaking and molding us, He's still with us. He will not leave you. He will not fail you. Hold on to your faith while you're being tested, while you're being tried, while your life is being purged. Know that you are still safe in the hands of an almighty God. Third thing I want to see so we need to use our brokenness to help others. We need to use our brokenness to help others. The last part there of, uh, of was that verse 32. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. This is not talking about salvation the, 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 and that converted. I think he's already a saved man. Go look at Matthew 16. I, I believe he's already saved. The word here, I looked it up and in Greek, it, means, it doesn't mean a transformation as much as a change of direction. It's like repentance. I was going this way, now I'm going that way. Christ is telling Peter that once he's been remade after his breaking, he's got a job to do. He needs to help his fellow disciples. I think this is missing in a lot of American Christianity today. We, we, we don't want to be broken ourselves. And when, we, when we're broken, we don't want to tell people we've been broken. We lack this transparency. We, we lack this honesty. We try to act like some sort of super Christian that has no weakness or has no failures in their life. I'm so tempted. One of these days I'm going to preach a sermon called Comic Book Christianity and that's going to be one of the points. We try to act like Superman, like you, you really don't have any. Everybody's got kryptonite, okay? But we try to act like we're all powerful. We got everything under control. You know what we are? We're human. We're weak. We struggle. This idea, this, it's a poison. It discourages other believers. It glorifies self and not God. By the way, what's the teaching of Scriptures? James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another. That's honesty. And pray for one another. Be honest. Be open. We are to lift one another up. And part of that is honest humility about our own struggles and our own frailty. Each of us carries wounds and scars that we can use to help somebody else. Someone's going through a rough time. Someone is being broken. And you've been there. You, you, you've, you've faced that dragon before. You survived. You can be an encouragement. You can be a help. Because you've been through that before. Now there's another extreme on this I, I, I want to also want to warn about because this is another. Talk about extremes in Christianity. We go from the one that says. I've never been broken. I've never had a hard time. To this other extreme where there's believers um, that define themselves by their brokenness. Uh, Our society today loves to make heroes out of victims. Victimhood is, is some kind of sainthood today. And it's a badge of honor to have been a victim. And and that's crept into our churches today. There's people that build their entire faith and persona and image around something that happened when they were broken. By the way, in effect, they're trying to glory in brokenness and not in the God that delivered them, strengthened them, reshaped them, redirected them, who in short did it all and deserves all the glory and honor. I'm not trying to be cold-hearted or uncaring here. I, I sympathize. I've been through some hard times. You have too. You know what this is like. I'm not trying to be uncaring here, but what I'm trying to do is be caring. Because you get on the other side where you're transformed and you're helping others and you cause people to praise God instead of taking pity on you. That's the goal. I could easily I could easily and by the way I've been very tempted in this in the past I, I could define my entire ministry I could define the direction of this church I could design I could I, I, I could do this on the battles I've faced on the brokenness I've had on the scars that I carry uh, I'll tell you what one, one of those I, I've been asked about this I, I could define my entire ministry around depression I, I could I've been there I, I understand, intimate with it. But part of the reason I, I don't want to do that is, number one, I don't think I'm strong enough. <laughs> but the other, other, other thing about that is I, I don't want to be defined by the brokenness. Well, that's the depressed guy. I'd rather us glory in the God who helps us to overcome. I'd rather be an example of that overcomer I'd rather be an example of a person that God still loves, still uses despite the brokenness, despite the scars. A thought, just to wrap this up, it's not more my typical conclusions. We've talked a lot about how God uses brokenness, but I haven't directly confronted, I think, the big question. And that is, why does God break us? Why does he work through our frailty? If God is so mighty, why does he not just instantly just deliver us? Make us that super Christian where we never suffer, where we never stumble. Why doesn't he do that? Why didn't he just instantly deliver us from all the suffering and evil? I will not claim to know the entire infinite wisdom of God, but this is a question that that has bothered me for some time. And I keep coming back to a very simple idea on this. Why, Why does God allow this? And here is my thought. God is glorified when He gives us the grace and strength to overcome our brokenness. God is glorified. Not that He makes us perfect. Not that He makes us above all temptation and above all brokenness and above everything, above all weakness. No, God is glorified when He sees us in our weakness and He lifts us up. He gets the glory. Would God not also receive glory if He eradicated the weakness and brokenness? I, I, I don't think He would get the same glory. By the way, we would never learned to trust Him more His power would not be constantly displayed in our lives. If He instantly removed all our brokenness, we would be tempted to glory in ourselves. (coughs) I'm somebody, look at me. I'm I'm a super Christian now. But God deserves and desires, by the way, all the glory. We should not rob Him of any of it. When we do, it's because of pride. We lift ourselves up. We don't often use this verse in this context, but Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. Amen, glory to God. You know God's gift of grace to us, we're saved. That not of yourselves. Note that it's not you. It's not you. You can't do a single thing to save yourself. Only Christ, God, can transform, can convert us, can save us. It is the gift of God. But what is verse 9? Not of works. Why? What's the reason that's given? Lest any man should boast because you would steal the glory. You'd say, I did it. I overcame. You know, here are a few hours, there's going to be a whole bunch of overgrown boys out on a football field. They're going to be jumping up and down. We did it! We did it! We're better than the other team! And you know who's getting the glory and all that? They are. And I know there's some Christian guys out there, and there, there seem to be some pretty good ones, actually, in, in, in the middle of all these guys. And they'll say, oh, praise and glory to God. But you know whose name gets on the baseball, or the football card in this case? You know whose name gets on the commercial? It's it's these guys. Who's getting the glory? It's them. I don't think God cares much at all about what happens in this football game at all. I believe God gets the greater glory when we simply trust in Him to get us through the heartaches and the trials and the brokenness. Paul had to learn this lesson. You can read in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, he had a thorn in his flesh. And he says, I've got this problem. It won't go away. I've prayed, God, get rid of this. God, get this out of my life. Till he has to learn a very valuable lesson. And I think this is one of the most important lessons there is in brokenness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he, talking about God, said unto me, My grace is sufficient. I'm going to give you enough to get through this. I'm not going to eradicate it, but I'm going to give you enough to overcome this daily. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect. It's made whole. It's made complete in weakness. Through our weakness, through our brokenness, it is not we who glory but it is the power of God that fills our lives and shines through and helps us overcome by giving us that measure of grace that's above our weakness to help us to overcome. So musicians come, the Christian life begins, by the way, when we admit our brokenness. You realize I think think that's step one in the plan of salvation. We have to admit we are broken. We are sinful. We need a savior you haven't done that, you have to start there. You have to say, God, I am broken. I need a Savior. I cannot save myself. But we really never outgrow that need for God. Here's the ongoing work of the gospel. We need him not only to have eternal life, but we need him to live this life. Every heartbeat, every breath, every decision. We need him. Every trial, every heartache, every valley, we need Him. Our brokenness is a constant reminder of this. It guards against pride in our hearts. And at the end of the day, and it defies logic, this is not what the world will teach you. The world will teach you, you need to be strong, you need to be tough, you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not the teaching of the Scripture. Scripture says, want to use you, you're going to do great things you're going to be broken you're going to be broken time after time, here's examples not even in my notes, I almost put this in here I'll have to do one more example King David he was anointed by God, he's going to be king and, and that's a number of years before he ever takes the throne you're reading Psalms all about his journey and his journey of faith and his faults and his failures, I mean he's very honest, very open one of his lowest moments, and, and there's, there's a battle for that. He has some low moments. He's right on the verge of becoming king. The Philistines are going up. They're about to go in the Valley of Jezreel. They're about to attack Israel. And just about this time, Saul and his sons are going to be killed on the, on the slopes of Mount Gilboa. David, the, the road is clear for him to be King, just as God had promised him. You know where he's at? He had been sent away. He's down at Ziklag. The Amalekites have come in. They have raided the city. They've taken all their families captive. They've taken all their stuff. They've burned their homes. And it's there, I think, in one of the lowest moments of David's life. His own men turn against him. They're ready to stone him, to kill him there's a mighty little phrase in there that says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. David was broken. And in that moment, he had, all he could do was trust in God. He's laying flat on his back. The only place he can look is up. That's the great lesson he has to learn because in just a few weeks, he's about to be king. And I think that may be that final test he had to face. He had to learn. This ain't about you, David. You're going to have to trust in me. Folks, we need to learn that lesson. God's going to remind us plenty of times, but you need to learn that lesson. God works in our brokenness. God corrects us, but God loves us. He's not trying to destroy us. He's trying to mold us and shape us into something that will bring him glory. Oh, and what number for the invitation? 326 in the Baptist hymnal there. If you'll stand, please. We'll have a time of invitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a heavy message to bear. This is really next level Christianity in my mind. Lord, that you love us enough to correct us, that you love us enough to to mold us and to shape us. And sometimes that's not fun. Sometimes that is even through the attacks of Satan. Sometimes that's through breaking. Sometimes it's through facing valleys that are too deep and too wide for us to cross, to, to learn, to trust in you. The Lord, for, for us to get out of the way and let your power, your glory shine through in our lives. Lord, such a simple lesson, but yet so hard for us to learn. Lord, I I pray this is a challenge to us. I pray it's a comfort to know that the heartaches we face, they have a purpose, they have a reason, that you're working through them. Lord, at the end of it all, that it's not about us. It's not about our glory, but it's about yours. And that you, even in our lowest points, you receive I believe the greatest glory Lord if there's someone here doesn't know you as Savior it begins with brokenness it begins with admitting we're a sinner that we need you I pray if there's someone listening online in here that if they don't know that let's get that settled now before it's too late Lord for the believers who I focused on here mostly this morning brokenness is hard to glory in but Lord let us take courage Let us hold fast in our faith and let us give you the glory you deserve and be faithful and see your greatness even in our weakness. Challenge us, I pray, in this simple message, Lord. Strengthen us, encourage us, I pray in thy holy name.